0: This, this is The Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton Show,
1: where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters
0: with actionable intelligence. Russian. One
1: small
2: thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. you a again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show
3: begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is
4: Buck Sexton. Now.
5: Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam. filling in for Buck Sexton today. We're very glad. To have you here with us, there's a lot to talk about over the next few hours. We've got some great guests on the show for you today, Uh, but in case you don't know me, by way by means of introduction, um, I was the former London editor for Breitbart.com, former chief advisor to Nigel Farage, or as you might know him, Mister Brexit, Uh, and I also dot around here and there with the Claremont Institute, the Gatestone Institute, the Middle East Forum. You can find my work online at Raheem Kassam on Twitter and so on and so forth. But enough about me. I want to talk about the fact that you have just four days to go until some of the most important elections these United States have faced in a very, very long time. You know, the stakes are not just high because I say so or because the President of the United States says so or because Maxine Waters or Oprah say so, the stakes are high because the full force of the political, cultural, media, and financial elite is being leveraged right now. The full might of the swamp, the full might of Hollywood, the full might of the fake news industrial complex, the full might of foreign money and power-invested interests who have been reeling... Ever since the early hours of November the 9th, 2016, the stakes are high, because there's a migrant invasion careering towards the U.S. southern border, and the left wants to talk about Obamacare. The stakes are high, because impeachment is the word on the lip, on the tip, sorry, of every Democrat's tongue, though they daren't utter it just yet for fear of alienating, independent-minded, or swing voters. The stakes are high because this president's agenda, arguably one of the most sort of radical, rip-roaring, effective platforms in decades, rests on whether or not Tuesday the deplorable strike another dagger into the heart of the establishment. You know, I'm grateful and honored that uh, in these last few days before the midterm elections, Buck Sexton and his team saw fit to let me take the reins over for the next few hours. And I implore you to listen closely to some of the arguments and guests that we'll be having over the course of this show. And I think it, it behooves all of us who believe in, in Western tradition and culture and the founding principles of the United States, not just to imbibe of such knowledge, but also, especially this weekend, to spread it widely. You know, a citizen as conceived in ancient Greece was, was somebody who saw the risks of their lack of participation being so great that they might become serfs or slaves as a result of their complacency. And that remains true today. And what say you to a voice from another nation, mine, speaking these words to you as you gear up to make that almighty important choice on Tuesday? I mean, I'll tell you why it means something to me. The nation I was born and raised in, the United Kingdom, I mean, we had a similarly... Extraordinary year in two thousand and sixteen, we too first even dealt a hammer blow to the political establishment in the form of brexit on on june the twenty third two thousand and sixteen and i 'll never forget this number. 17,410,742 people voted to leave the supranational governing institutions of the European Union and claim our sovereignty and our border controls, and our birthrights back. You know, despite a, a long and rich history as both a global governing empire and a strong independent nation, we Brits ended up this last 40 years entrapped in a political union where our laws and our regulations and our sovereign decisions were taken in a foreign capital by unelected bureaucrats. When thinking back, on the 2016 election here in the United States, I often remark that it was through divine providence and the hard work and belief of so many ordinary Americans that you, too, did not get dragged into a miasma like the European Union. There was and there still remains a massive chance of this happening. The Trans-Pacific Partnership Economic Alliance, remember, it was heralded by Hillary Clinton as the gold standard of trade deals. Well, that was actually modelled... On the European Union with its commissars and commissioners, its bureaucrats and buffoonish benefactors of the centralization of power away from the individual, away from the demos, the people, you know, TPP could have led the United States down the dark and dangerous road to serfdom. But what happened instead? America rejected the administrative state. President Trump even made it part of his plethora of campaign slogans. Drain the swamp. For decades and and the centuries of erudite and prolific thinkers, President Trump managed to put it into those three words, you know, perspective and simplicity, the likes of which we need now more than ever before in our lifetimes, a return of the revolutionary spirit that birthed this nation from my own. I think it's also a weekend to dwell on some words that I recently reread from another of your presidents, Abraham Lincoln. In 1838, he said of those revolutionary scenes in the form of a husband, a father, a son or a brother, a living history was to be found in every family, a history bearing the indubitable testimonies of its own authenticity in the limbs mangled in the scars of wounds received in the midst of the very scenes related, a history, too, that could be read and understood alike by all the wise and the ignorant, the learned and the unlearned. But those histories are gone. They can be read no more forever. They were a fortress of strength. But what invading foemen could never do, the silent artillery of time has done the leveling of its walls. It's time to fight back against that silent artillery. Now we secure freedom for another generation. I'm Raheem Kassam. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Again, we'll have some fantastic guests over the course of the program for you. And the first of which joining us now is none other than Stephen K. Bannon. He is, as you know, the former White House chief strategist, former CEO of the Trump campaign. And I'm delighted now to welcome Stephen K. Bannon to the show. All right. Welcome to the Buck Sexton show. My first guest here today is Stephen K. Bannon, former senior advisor and campaign CEO for President Donald J. Trump. Steve, thanks for joining us here today.
0: Raheem, I'm so glad to join you on Buck Sexton show. I'm a huge fan of the show and Buck Sexton. I watch him on the Hill TV and listen to the show. But you know, most importantly, I was trying to track you down. You know, ever since we made Trumpet War, and today Gateway Punish has got that lead story, says it's been seen over seven million times. I thought you'd camped to Hollywood. I, I couldn't track you down.
5: <laughs> well, I was going to open with a question about Trumpet War, but full disclosure, I am in the movie made by Stephen K. Bannon called Trumpet War. Holy!
0: Hold we're in the movie. You, you, Gorka, uh, Corey, uh, Raina Jackson, the stars of the movie. You're in, I, I guess, uh, Joe Concha. Uh, and others uh, kind of steal the uh, kind of steal but you're one of the stars of it. Don't be so modest. I... You're never modest. Enough. Don't be <laughs> modest now, just because you're just because you get so from Buck. Don't don't be modest.
5: So I well, thank you very much. So I saw that story about how many millions of people that um, that movie reached. Tell us a little bit for the audience who hasn't maybe seen it yet, or or, or has it sort of in their to do list. Tell us a little bit about the movie. How you got to. You know, conceptualizing it, and 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 what impact you think it's had on this uh, on this midterm election race.
0: Well, look, as you know, we started conceiving this thing about nine months ago at the beginning of the year, thinking that in the closing days in September, October, November, in the run up to the midterm, this is really going to be about President Trump. It's going to be about his agenda. It's essentially a referendum on Trump. And so we made a film really to galvanize the Trump base. This is not really a conversion film, although we've got tons of. Anecdotal information of people showing it to their family and converting over to support President Trump. It was really made as a film, like I made in the Tea Party year of 2010, to motivate people to get out to vote to walk precincts. I felt early on we lacked the urgency at the grassroots level that uh, that the left had. I saw a lot of urgency and energy in the Time's Up movement, uh, in the resistance, and in uh, Tom Steyer's Next Ten. And I thought it was very important to get us to stop leaning on the shovel. So, you know, I wrote the script, structured it out, got a cast with you and uh, Corey and other, you know, just a terrific cast. Made the film. We distribute it. It's totally free. Go to TrumpetWar.com or just go to the Gateway Punt. I think it's the lead story. Click on. You can share it with anybody. No charge. It's an hour and 15 minutes long. I think it just won the, uh, I think, the Melbourne Film Festival two nights ago. We just found out it won the best documentary.
6: Wow! Uh,
7: so uh,
0: we're very proud of that. Yeah, yeah, no, Australia, it's, uh, it's both left and right. It's just not a conservative thing. And they told us that we won Best Documentary. And, of course, I won Best Director, but I, I, I don't need
5: to mention <laughs> that. Um, Does that mean but, you have uh, to go to Australia no, to collect an award now?
0: No, unfortunately, they already had the award. I think, yeah. I, I think it was in New Mexico, too, at that time, because I've been going around the country to these tough congressional districts and talking about the Trump program and why it's important. What we need the grassroots to, to focus on is that this is all about President Trump, that you may be voting for a rhino, you may be a congressman you're not totally excited about, it, it doesn't matter. You've got to get out there, you've got to ring bells. you've got to work phone banks, you're going to have to drag people to the polls because, him, I think coming down to the closing days, this thing's going to be, you know, at the wire, somebody's going to win this. Well,
5: and this is what I wanted to ask you about. You have been traveling around the country an awful lot over the last couple of months. Where do you think right now, I mean, we're just four days out at this point in time from the um, from the midterm elections um Where do you think the, the you know the key seats are? what have you seen out there and, and, and you know what should people be bearing in mind when they go to the ballot box on Tuesday?
0: Well, the ballot box, I think you got to focus on the Trump program because we lose the House of Representatives, they're going to not just immediately uh, get impeachment hearings going, they're actually going to have, I think fifty investigations and really grind the Trump agenda. Uh, to a halt. So to me, it's all on the line here. I think the Senate, look, I think we had momentum before the uh, pipe bombing incident and before this uh, horrible massacre and tragedy in Pittsburgh at the synagogue. I thought we had the momentum uh, both in the Senate and the House. I I still think the Senate looks safe and maybe pick up a couple of two seats, um, maybe even three. Uh, I think the House is a real dogfight. I don't think you're going to see a blue wave, but I could see losing 25 to 26, 27 seats. But I think where the Democrats are vulnerable, I don't think they focused on these seats that we could flip. Remember, Raheem, when I first left the White House, you were around when I had the meetings with some of the Republican nostalgia guys. And at the time, they were talking about a 80 to 100 seat potential loss mm. in the House of Representatives. That was in September uh, of 2017. And you saw that come down to 60, to 50. I was on Hannity with hard Days ago. I think I said 35 to 40. I think it's somewhere around 25. But I do think that they're pickups. And I think some of these key districts are... You know, I think it's Minnesota, Pennsylvania, I think it's 14 is a, re- uh, a redistricted one. But the ones in Minnesota, I think it's Minnesota 1, 7, and 8. 7 just came into play last night. Uh, Nevada, Nevada 3 and 4, the Danny Tarkanian race out there in the, in the Hardy race, I think look very competitive. Uh, Arizona 1, uh, Wendy Rogers, I think looks very competitive. So you've got, uh, I think you've got, uh, you know, 4 or 5 uh, potential pick-up. potential pickups. And maybe, you know, Pennsylvania I think a lot maybe one or two uh, after that. And I think that can make, I think these pickups can actually make the difference uh, to hold the house right now. I think it's going to be it to change every day. Uh, the opposition is going in full force. They're raising tons of money, a lot of it, small donor. Uh, and you'd never know how something like a work, in, a cruise are going to play out in Texas. That will have a huge impact on Culverson and sessions and uh, internally heard. So this thing's in play. I think for your audience or for Buck Sexton's audience, it's just, you have to engage. It's not too late. To go in and and make phone calls at a phone bank, it's not too late uh, to hit with a $25 donation. But most importantly, it's not too late to get all your friends, all your colleagues, everybody you know, out to vote. If you want to support the Trump agenda, to me, it's very clear you just got to get people out to vote.
5: We're speaking with Stephen K. Bannon, the former White House chief strategist and Trump campaign CEO. Steve, so this weekend, you're saying, is not the time to be catching up with your binge-watching Netflix?
0: No, I think it's, look, the left is, you know, the, the left got something about President Trump that it took uh, the Republican establishment a while to catch up with. They understand he's a transformative president and a historic figure. You know, he's in their head like a Kafkaesque novel. And the reason is they know that Trump's going to be in their personal lives 20 and 30 years from now. Mm. And it's just not the federal judiciary. It's just not. It's not these 140 federal judges in Supreme Court. It's much deeper than that. It's what he's doing in economic nationalism. It's what he's doing in American First National Security. Most importantly, I think for the left, it's what he's doing in deconstruction of the administrative state, which is really taking this Leviathan apart, you know, brick by brick. And I think they understand that's gonna have huge implications. So they understand he's in their lives and they want him out. And that's why they put so much energy, so much, look, I disagree with their ideology. I admire uh, their grit and their hustle. They have done it like the Tea Party in 2010. If they do happen to have a winning night, on uh, on Tuesday it's because they went out and walked precincts early. It's definitely not too late. This is we've got really we've got four days. You got you got Saturday, Sunday, uh, evening at Friday. I mean we got we got time. You got time to get out. You got time to go to a campaign headquarters. There's tons of independent expenditures out there. They're setting up phone banks and people walking uh, neighborhoods. So no, if, if you want to back President Trump's campaign, you know binge watching uh, Netflix this weekend is not a good use of your time. <laughs>
5: And, um, and we'll be talking to uh, other guests on the, over the course of the show. Dr. Sebastian Gorka will be joining us. We'll be talking about the Iran sanctions and so on and so forth. Just, just lastly, Steve, while I have you, I wanted to ask you about what you're doing right now because you're, you're, you're actually uh, in Toronto, am I right, uh, uh, prepping for a very big debate.
0: Yeah, Monk debate tonight is myself versus David Frum. Uh, it's about is populism going to uh, replace the liberal order? Uh, is the politics of the future. Uh, really honored to be up here. The monk people are obviously very classy. I think it's 3,500 seat auditorium. They told me today they could have sold like 15,000 tickets, so they said it had tremendous demand. Uh, obviously, uh, a number of people, uh, are not excited about that. Some protesters, but that's their, their right. And I, I appreciate that they're out there. Uh, from is uh, I've known, uh, David for a long time. He was in my, he was in Generation Zero. Uh, he, he was a star before you were, Raheem, in one of my films, So mm-hmm. uh, about the financial collapse. So, um, no, well, I don't it's,
5: want to uh, end up where yeah, David from nice. is. I certainly don't want to end up uh, <laughs> on the other side of a platform against you.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. This is going to be Tomorrow, I'm in Virginia. We're trying to get to North Carolina and Pennsylvania on, the, on Sunday and Monday. So, we'll be out. I'll be doing, you know, these small events. What I try to do is go in and really pump up uh, grassroots leaders and then maybe uh, later, some other time, screen the film. So, we're still pulling some stuff together. But if you go to our website, Trump at War or if you go Citizens of the American Republic, C-O-A-R Corp. It's our uh, not for profit or it's I guess, our NGO. And uh, it's, uh, you, you know, just go there, you'll find out all the latest information where we're going to be. But I'll be back in the States late tonight after this, and uh, back on the campaign trail. Just got back from, you know, uh, Kansas, uh, uh, Nevada, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, on a swing to see these, uh, these tough districts. Wow. So, look, it's all about the Trump base. If the Trump base turns out, Things are gonna be fine. If we can't get the base out, then uh, we may suffer, we may lose the house, and I will just tell you that'll be terrible for President Trump's agenda.
5: Well, to to quote uh British Member of Parliament, George Galloway, when he was speaking about Saddam Hussein, I salute your indefatigability, sir.
0: Raheem, thank you. Thank you for being in the film. And uh hey Raheem, once you tweet it out, you know, you get this you got all those Twitter followers, put it up on Twitter and get- I
5: have been. I have been. I'll we do it again. I'll do to it be again tonight. Want
0: to be a- we want to be at 10 million by the end of the weekend, and I want to get to 15 million by uh, by uh, election like, night. No, don't know if we get there, but we're going to put forth a big effort. But just go to the Gateway Pundit. or go to more importantly, go to Raheem's Twitter feed. <laughs> there Find you that's go. That's the, that's the that's the that's the, the first and only
5: time Steve's Twitter endorsed Twitter. my Twitter feed. <laughs>
0: Hey, take care. Good good luck on the show today.
5: Thanks so much, Stephen K. Bannon, former uh, White House chief strategist and Trump campaign CEO, also the former head of my old stable, Breitbart.com. Stephen K. Bannon, thank you very much. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton today. I'm pleased to have on the line a good friend of mine, a former deputy director in the Commerce Department, a Trump appointee. Chris Garcia joins us on the line now. Chris, welcome to the show.
3: Raheem,
5: good to be on. Chris, you know, there are but four days now until the midterm elections, and, and I suppose uh, there are uh, those in the Democrat Party who want people to go into those polling booths on Tuesday and talk about either or think about health care or think about a uh, migrant caravan or maybe not think about a migrant caravan, depending on, you know, how they manage to spin it over, over the weekend. Um, but the big one for me seems to be Uh, and, And from all the people I'm talking to seems to be, well, actually, people have money in their pockets. Again, people have jobs where they couldn't have them before. You know, there is an economic legacy that is already in place, but two years into this administration. How high up the chain do you think economics is going to be on Tuesday? And just walk us through a little bit of what you think uh, the the you know the achievements of this administration have been so far, and perhaps even where it's fallen down. If there's anything that you might have done differently, or there anything that you know th- still remains to be done. You know,
3: Rahim, yeah, that's a that's a great question about primarily uh, what should have been done differently, uh, because it's a very very hard have been done differently or improved or what could be improved upon by the the White House advisors. Uh, The president did one thing that was probably the foundation, I'll say, uh, for why we're experiencing such robust economic growth. Uh, Number one, he deregulated uh, more uh, than any previous president had in history, uh, whereas President Obama was, uh, I think, implementing something like $250 billion new regulations in his first two years, President Trump has cut $23 billion uh, in regulations. Uh, That was coupled with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. More money in consumers' pockets and American workers' pockets and American businesses' uh, operating accounts to grow and expand has led to a huge, huge boom. We're at 3% GDP growth now, on track for uh, 3% GDP growth throughout the year, Uh, and that's going to be the first time that it was ever done since 2005, uh, so the president knew what we all know on the supply side of economics. Uh, all of the free traders and free marketers uh, know that you have to have a robust economic environment and an environment that's conducive to uh, entrepreneurship and uh, and growth and expansion in order to be able to provide for the nation's defense, to provide for the social programs that exist. And so, the president came to office and did the right thing uh, right away. And that's why we're experiencing such phenomenal growth. Now, how that plays uh, to the midterms, uh, unfortunately, because the, the rhetoric has been so divisive, uh, you know, there, there uh, are a variety of uh, distractions uh, uh, that are t- trying to take, I would say, American voters' minds off of the successes that the president has realized. Ah, uh, but uh, that's something that uh, we cannot uh, overlook. Uh, the economic success has put more money in Americans' pockets, has allowed businesses to grow and expand, uh, and frankly, uh, we will see much more of that if we continue to have a Republican Congress.
5: Chris, what do you say to the critics of this um, this administration's trade policy? You know, there are there are sort of the Paul Krugmans of the world, all the way over to the 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 hard free market right, saying that actually. You know, tariffs and an economic war with China is going to cause more problems for people. It's going to drive consumer prices up. It's going to lock us into this scenario of, of, of tit for tat over the next 10 or 15 years. Uh, and they say this country cannot afford it, uh, and, and, and that even if it could, the jobs aren't coming back anyway.
3: What do you, what do you say to something like that? Well, let's break down why the president has slapped tariffs on some of our trading partners in the first place. Uh, The biggest culprit has been China. Uh, China, since since joining the World Trade Organization in 2001, uh, has abused uh, the privilege of being one of the free trade partners, and I say free trade in quotations, uh, because it's been anything but free. Uh, China has lied. They've stolen. They've cheated. Uh, They've manipulated their currency. They've unfairly subsidized their industries and dumped uh, products like steel and aluminum to make it uh, impossible for American consumers to, uh, or American uh, uh, companies and uh, and workers to compete. Um, the uh, there was recently a, a study that was just released uh, concerning the the loss of three point four million American manufacturing jobs. Uh, since 2001, because of these uh, practices that China has uh, has implemented. Now, uh, the president is saying to China, very simply, uh, cut this out. Uh, Actually engage in free trade and reciprocal trade without subsidizing and without slapping tariffs on U.S. products being imported to China. Uh, Otherwise, we'll slap tariffs. Now, China has much more to lose if they don't comply, they have uh, really no replacement. They have no alternative to the robust consumer base. Whereas the United States has a, we have much. Uh, we're working with first of all a much greater position of strength because of the robust economy. China's economy is on the downturn, uh, but we also can diversify our supply chain away from China. And I think what President Trump has done is uh, is twofold. Number one, uh, he's striking fairer and more. Uh, reciprocal trade agreements. And we saw that with the new NAFTA deal that was struck, the USMCA. But secondly, he's reorienting the supply chain away from China, away from Southeast Asia, and back to North America. And that's a huge win for American workers. So any way you slice it, American companies and American workers are now more competitive, and they'll have, frankly, a, a, a much uh, much a better chance to compete fairly and openly on the global market thanks to these policies adopted by President Trump.
5: You know, I um, I attended a, a a book launch by uh, by Stephen Moore um, in in New York earlier this week, and and he told me uh, an interesting anecdote. In fact, he told the room an interesting anecdote. So I don't think I'm breaching any trust in 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 relaying this. But when when the economic advisory team on the um, on the transition first said to him, first said to the president-elect, look, or or, or, or reiterated what they've been saying throughout the campaign, look. You know, we need to uh, have a competitive corporate tax environment because there are other nations out there with 20% corporate rates, and we need to go down to that as well. And apparently, President Trump's first reaction was absolutely not. I want a 15% rate. And, and, you know, that, I think, speak, I think that it speaks to his instincts. Number one, of course, it's the art of the deal, right? If you go for 15, you're going to get 20. If you go for 20, you're going to get 25, so on and so forth. But it also speaks to his instincts about, you know, letting that, um, letting that sort of beast of American uh, uh, business, medium small and medium-sized business specifically, letting it roar. And I don't think that's something that that well certainly something that we haven't seen in Europe for a very long time, and it's something that I think you know America with the Obama you didn't build that mentality hadn't seen for a very long time. What do you think it does to the psyche of of business owners, and what do you think it does uh, to the to the morale of the country that you've now got this this uh, uh, you know. you know, I'm not going to say roaring economy just yet, but you have, you know, the wheels are in motion. The stock market is, you know, brought the broad trend is up. What is, what is that doing to the country as you see it out there, Chris?
3: Well, no, you make a very good point. It's about consumer sentiment, consumer confidence and business optimism. Uh, We're seeing all time highs, uh, record highs in both of those measures because of a president, frankly, that now is standing up for American workers and And consumers and American businesses, you know, the war, as Larry Kudlow likes to say, profits and the war on private enterprise and the war on corporations and businesses is over, provided that they adopt the America First agenda, which President Trump says, hey, listen, if you're going to be a U.S. company, you've got to pick a side. Are you going to be, you know, supporting uh, American workers and growing uh, and expanding and scaling and building new factories in the United States, or are you going to? You know, build overseas in China or or or, or Mexico or Canada, uh, and so we saw the president really strike these deals with these uh, with these corporations early on that returned uh, many of these uh, these plants that had uh, that had that had vanished over the years because of the tough regulatory environment, because of the tough uh, you know tax environment, uh, and now uh, we've got, as I said earlier, manufacturing jobs are coming back. We've got four. 0.5 million jobs that were created since the president was elected, and you've got uh, I think, 450,000 manufacturing jobs since he was elected. So, I, so this, is, this is a real, I mean, all you have to do is look at the facts. Look at the facts. You can't argue with the facts, um, but that optimism, that business confidence, that consumer confidence, you know, that's a real measure of how well these policies are working. Um, but, but frankly, this is, this is going to come to an end. It's going to come to a screeching halt uh, if we have these these leftist, uh, you know, I would even say quasi-socialists, some are outright socialist, uh, you know, democratic candidates that are that are running for office, and if we get if we get them elected, if we hand control of the House of Representatives to Democrats, you can count and you can kiss all of this progress goodbye.
5: Stark, uh, stark message there, Chris Garcia. I'm afraid we have to leave it there. I could ask you for for days and days about you know what it uh, what it would portend. Um, if the uh, if the house is lost on, uh, on Tuesday. But uh, we'll have to leave it there for now. More another time, uh, former Deputy Director in the uh, Department of Commerce, Chris Garcia, thank you very much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show.
0: It's always a pleasure.
5: Well, that was very interesting stuff there from Chris Garcia. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton today. We'll be right back.
4: All of this
7: for a group of people, a lot of whom are mothers and children who pose no imminent threat to the United States.
3: call this an invasion, uh, it it might be the most pathetic uh, invasion of a country in world history if if this were actually an invasion, but of course it's not. president
8: sending troops to the border to deal with a caravan that hasn't proven to be violent.
3: Stop saying they're monsters. They're more mothers than monsters. Don't say it. Why don't any of you say that? You know,
5: when you listen to that, especially when the mainstream media the establishment media are referring to the migrant caravan as as not an invasion or the worst invasion in history and then you reconcile it with with you know just a couple of a uh, couple of years ago a couple of hundred troops from Russia found their way into into Crimea and remember the world rightly called that an invasion well now you have thousands upon thousands of people who are going to be amassing at the US southern border in the next couple of days and that's not an invasion. You know, I've done my own digging into this migrant caravan as it's called. I mean, it's 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 not a caravan. It's it's a it's a march of a lot of people out there with with who are hurling rocks at helicopters who are being arrested in the countries that they're going through because of criminal activity. The people on the caravan themselves The people marching towards the U.S. southern border are also reporting mass criminality within their own ranks when local news outlets go and speak to them. And when that comes itself up through Central America, when the news filters up and it goes through the establishment media filters, it comes out as what you just heard. Don't worry about these guys. Everything's fine. They're mothers. It's all mothers. Listen, do yourself a favor. Go, go online right now, go on Twitter right now, and all you need to do, in fact, it's on my Twitter feed, just to give myself a little plug, go on my Twitter, at Raheem Kassam, right? And you can see a video that clearly shows not just people hurling rocks into crowds and at helicopters, but people with Molotov cocktails. This is these, these are the people we're just supposed to be like oh yeah fine you know come to the southern border we'll figure it out when you get here it's that's that's all well and good we'll we'll just you know we'll process all of the asylum claims you know allow it to just happen freely and what does it do what would that approach do which is by the way the approach that everyone is telling us to take everyone on the left and in the political establishment that's what they're telling the president of the United States to do let them arrive and process their asylum claims. Don't try and dissuade them. Don't try and identify who they are. Don't try and identify criminality or even, God forbid, terrorism coming up through that southern border. Now, just wait. Just wait. Hold your fire. Wrong. This president has it right. And I'll tell you, as, now I don't call myself this very often, a European, as a European, and thank goodness we are leaving the European Union, because what happened those years going up to, you remember the big migrant crisis in Europe? You remember in 2015 when Angela Merkel, who has now been beating about about the ballot box in Germany, when she welcomed two million people into the continent, didn't really consult with anyone else, didn't ask, you know, the French or the British or the Hungarians or the Austrians what they thought. No, she said, come one, come all. Don't worry about it. We believe you. We believe your stories. And it turned out what? It turned out that you had hundreds of thousands of people who were not asylum seekers or fleeing war or poverty stricken. They were just economic migrants. Now, I don't have a problem with economic migration. I suspect nobody has a problem with economic migration, as long as it's legal, as long as it falls within the boundaries that are set by the nation state, which has its own borders to control and has its own policies and has its own president, the hands of which within lay the whole power to set immigration policy. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not. But that's not what Merkel did. And what happened was the first year that it started, you know, really started back in twenty twelve. A couple of thousand people to start with. Then it became tens of thousands of people. Then it became hundreds of thousands of people. By twenty fourteen, in the high in the mid to high, hundreds of thousands. And twenty fifteen, probably I mean, you know, they lost count. There are there are estimates that go from eight hundred thousand all the way up to two million. I'm one of those people that you know, I'll, 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 I'll take a conservative estimate, but I won't take a, a stupidly low estimate. There was, over, there was definitely over 1.2 million people that made their way into Europe. And why? Because they were made to feel like anybody could come, that the rule of law was out the window, the world all had open borders now, and that's exactly the same mantra. It's exactly the same mentality that you're seeing, that you're hearing from that montage we just played. It's the same thing. So take it from me is somebody who has already watched the continent I come from being ravaged by this kind of stupidity. This, you know, let's all feel really nice about ourselves because there's a baby in a picture. You remember they did that during the European crisis as well. They put that young boy, Elan Kurdi, died on the beach because of human traffickers, by the way, who were making money off that route. They put him on the front page of every single newspaper to make me and you and everyone else feel bad. But what was the real case there? The real case there was criminality. The real case there was crossing borders when you shouldn't. The real case there was human traffickers making cash off human beings. And I dare say, we're seeing that again here. We're seeing that in the United States. We're seeing that on your southern border. So take it from me. I've looked into this migrant caravan at length. I've looked into who the groups are, where their money is coming from. This has been in the works for decades. And this weekend, you're going to see more and more of those pictures. And right up until the midterms, you're going to see more and more of those pictures. And they're going to try and make you vote, not with your head, not even with your heart, but with this globalist semblance of owing that you owe the world a living, that you owe the world part of you
2: in the midst of all the whining coming from the left I mean it's just crazy these days right they're chasing people out of restaurants yelling at you in the coffee shop acting like a bunch of maniacs you have to wonder why in the world would anyone act this way my guess is they're just not getting their daily dose of black rifle coffee I drink black rifle every morning in fact it's such delicious coffee that I'm usually a guy that likes a little con leche in my coffee but guess what I drink it black 'Cause it's black rifle for one. And also, this is delicious small batch roast to order coffee. All right. I am a silence for smooth blend guy, but their entire catalog of different beans and blends is amazing. Black Rifle is roast to order and is guaranteed fresh right to your door. Nothing cures a bad attitude like starting your day with the most American coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com Buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com Buck. For 15% off, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show.
5: I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton today as he is I believe interviewing the vice president in Kansas. Much more important job to do for Buck today, uh, but he's left. Uh, he's left you in my capable hands, or me in your capable hands, perhaps um we uh We have so much to talk about and we we spent the first hour talking about the midterm elections but there's 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 other things going on in the world and other things that need addressing too and the, you know this president isn 't stopping with the business of, of of running a country and with the business of being an international statesman, which you know <laughs> whether, whether they like it or not, all of these world leaders actually have to be and 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 do the job that comes with it um and one of those jobs is of course uh uh seeing off. Uh, threats to the US homeland and um, Barack Obama I have to say uh, I feel like I I, I dread to think how you guys would put it but I I feel like didn't do a particularly good job of that Um, especially when it came to a little country we call Iran. Um, I have a guest on the line now a good friend of mine who is a senior writer at the Washington Free Beacon who's going to unpack some of this for us because today uh, the Trump administration um, announced that it was going to reimpose all the iran sanctions that were lifted by president obama adam credo joins us on the line to discuss adam thanks for joining us
7: my pleasure thanks for having me buddy
5: hey adam it's it's strange you're you're on the uh, you're on the campaign trail and i'm in an office in dc today we've switched roles
7: <laughs> we, we certainly have i'm in southern florida beautiful southern florida it's hot and humid
5: uh, well, I hope you're. I hope you're enjoying yourself and topping up your tan. But I, I suspect that you're you're bashing away at the keyboard most of the time, given the um, given the frequency of the news, and and this is really your beat, right? The Iran stuff. I mean, I don't know a better reporter out there, ladies and gentlemen, on this issue. Um, so if you're not following Adam's work, uh, he's going to give you chapter and verse on why you should by flexing his knowledge right now. Adam, what <laughs> what what is going on? Why this timing? um is this is this throwing the baby out with the bathwater
7: well there there are a couple of things happening here and it, and it's it's complicated so so i, I want to try to be as careful as i can uh the trump administration on monday is going to reimpose most of the sanctions that were lifted by the obama administration when they Inked that nuclear deal, the JCPOA or Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Um, essentially, are, that's are you
5: telling a, me that CNN's headline is lying to me? The CNN says all sanctions.
7: Yeah, that's not true. That's the White House's line, and they're ah. they're uh, misleading uh, quite a little bit. Now, I reported uh, late yesterday only. Uh, promised publicly, but certainly also privately to reporters and uh, other experts in Washington, D.C., who kind of track this issue closely. Iran is going to be allowed to remain connected to SWIFT. That's the international banking system. It facilitates cross-border transactions. This has been a key financial lifeline for Tehran. It's kept business open with Europe. Uh, The administration for a time was saying, we're not going to allow this anymore because Iran also uses SWIFT uh, for funding its terror operations. It's a big uh, source of income for the regime over there. And they were first signaling a total disconnect, which would have jived with what Republicans in Congress, and certainly uh, people like John Bolton were saying outside of the administration, now from inside the administration. They reversed on that. That came after pressure from European allies, uh, particularly Germany, France, and the Brits, um, who want to keep doing business with Iran. They want to keep the lines open. So this is kind of a concession to them. The other concession comes on the front of oil. One of the key sanctions that really could choke off Uh, the Iranian economy and further kind of push it topple, which I think a lot of people are looking for to see that regime booted out uh, because of the weak economy. Uh, Instead, they're issuing oil waivers. Uh, At least eight countries are set to get these waivers. They last about 180 days. So as opposed to what the president, John Bolton, And the State Department was saying just a month or a month and a half ago, uh, we're actually granting waivers to countries. They can keep importing Iranian crude oil, and the imports will not reach zero as many Iran hawks and others in Congress uh, were looking for those. So this has uh, created a bit of outrage after I ran my piece yesterday. I heard there was a lot of um, back and forth between Congress, the State Department, the administration – John Bolton uh, pulled the National Security Council, the White House National Security Council, off of a call that was scheduled for just earlier today and left um, just Secretary of State Pompeo and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin to deal with it. So I think that signals a level of frustration that's coming from some of the harder line elements in the administration and on Capitol Hill. But I can say in totality, these sanctions are much stronger than what the Obama administration was pushing for, which was essentially opening up Iran to the globe. So from that side, it's good. But I think you're going to hear from Iran hawks. There's still a way to go. And uh, off of that, Senator Cruz is working on a bill right now. It's not quite soup, but it will be uh, in the coming weeks. And that's going to mandate the president fully disconnect Iran from the swift banking system.
5: Well so this is this was going to be my next question for you um, the, so what you're saying is the white house hasn't been completely honest with by saying all sanctions because of course you have these these little uh, uh, carve outs um, but yes. i suppose that what they're doing is and i saw your story yesterday by the way i mean adam credo ladies and gentlemen had this up before anybody else and had the intel on this before anybody else um, on, on this story and and yesterday ran uh, the headline on the on the freebeacon.com Trump admin poised to cave on Iran sanctions. Now I'm going to push back a bit on on, on that, given that yeah, you gave well, me the, the. You're not the only one. I get <laughs> quite a bit of uh, pushback from. Yeah, but, uh, but the, the, d- the end difference end end is I don't work in the White House.
7: <laughs> yeah.
5: Um, well, I you know cave isn't cave a bit of a strong word. Like I mean, like you say, there are obviously a a, a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, maybe I don't know. They're saving saving their uh, powder for another another flashpoint or or to dangle the Damoclean sword over the heads. Um, of the Iranians at another, another juncture, and maybe Swift is a part of that. Or do you believe that there is something more nefarious at play here? Like, who has got to this policy? Why did it change? Why did people like John Bolton, who appears to be you know very well uh, uh, empowered within the administration, not get his way on this? <laughs>
7: Yeah, uh, like like most things, I think it's a combination of of both the points you mentioned. Um, I I can tell you in covering this closely, and I've been writing it for two or three months now, the Europeans um, just have been very, very tough on this administration. And the people handling talks on behalf of Trump, appear to have sympathies to that European stance that Iran should remain open for business, that countries should be allowed to continue importing oil. And I think they've brought those concerns back to the U.S., and that's what we've seen with the State Department. So the reason I use the word cave, and I think it is actually a very uh, fair way to put it, is because we went in with this tough line. This is what the president has asked for. This is what NSA Bolton has asked for. And after months of negotiations, they walked that back. As one uh, diplomat put it to me yesterday, this is not what the president asked for. This is not what he instructed the administration to do. They talk about a maximum pressure campaign on Iran, and Mm. this is not maximum pressure. More can be done. Now, uh, it's certainly fair to also praise them for these moves. Yes, they are reimposing a series of tough sanctions that will impact iranian banks it will impact oil energy these kinds of things but then there are other issues you look at civil nuclear cooperation um essentially iran is going to be allowed to continue building, constructing, and working with Russia and others on uh, nuclear reactors that gives you nuclear byproducts, such as heavy water, which can be used to power a nuclear weapon. These small concessions mean something. And it sends a signal to Tehran um, that the Europeans are going to provide them a lifeline. And that's exactly what they've done. And it seems that, in part, that's what they've convinced this administration to do. Now, we have waivers for 180 days. Uh, I'm told now that Bolton. And the NFC in the coming months are going to push very hard for SWIFT and sanctions and oil, all these reductions, to be brought fully down on Iran. But it's a waiting game now. It's a matter of, again, if they can win that position that the president has advocated.
5: Once again, we're speaking with Adam Credo, senior writer at the Washington Free Beacon. I'm Raheem Kassam. This is the Buck Sexton Show. And just to add another name into that mix, Donald Trump has tweeted today, Adam, uh, yeah. a, a meme um, based on game of thrones i've never seen it uh, i i think you've you've seen it have you seen it great show yeah i love it i read all the books too i've i've, I've i can't read so um i've <laughs> never seen it uh it says sanctions are coming uh, november 5th and it's a a stark picture have you seen
7: this yeah like the winter is coming type of thing yeah i, I did see this meme um and it's good look uh, the the white house um from what I've heard today, not just from sources in Congress, and these are people that have kind of been battling the administration on this, they're, they're uh, somewhat more to the right than the administration on the Iran sanctions, and I've also heard it from uh, U.S. officials abroad who are working with Europeans that – yeah, sanctions are coming. They will be reimposed, but there are multiple loopholes. After me and others last night reported these latest concessions to Iran, um, it appears the White House canceled a series of background briefings for. Um, experts and other kind of administration validators Uh, like I said Bolton took himself off of the call so there's there's fear they're scared they feel like they're losing the narrative and I think memes are a good way to kind of get them back on track with that so so that's kind of my read on that
5: well Adam we've only got a couple of minutes left here um, but I'd love to ask you about uh, the fact that you're in Florida um, and covering, I know, the gubernatorial race, Andrew Gillum's ties to radical anti-Israel groups. Can you tell us a little bit about that in in just a couple of minutes?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gillum is running against Ron DeSantis, a former member of Congress who resigned his seat. Uh, DeSantis, a lawmaker I've worked with for years, very strong on foreign policy, very pro-Israel, very anti-Iran. Gillum is pretty much the complete opposite. Former mayor of Tallahassee, he's under investigation for corruption. He uh, uh, took free gifts from an undercover FBI agent. And in addition to this, like I reported, he has ties to numerous left-wing, George Soros-funded groups that very much advocate an anti-Israel position that is... Um, advocating in favor of boycotts of Israel, the BDS movement, which we all know is very uh, anti Semitic and, and, uh, quite vitriolic in, in the way they describe the Jewish state. And uh, Gillen has tried to run away from these ties, but I, I think they're cropping up and they seem to be chasing him on the campaign trail. Um, I was at a rally just a couple of days ago where Trump came and rallied for DeSantis and Rick Scott, who's also running against Bill Nelson, and discussed these things. And um, from the reaction of the crowd, I think they're getting the message. Now, whether that translates to votes, it's unclear. I think DeSantis is viewed right now a little bit as an underdog but uh, that could tighten up in the next couple of days i think
5: well adam credo i wish we had more time but uh, really thank you so, so much what? for joining us from uh, from florida we'll see you when you get back to washington dc i owe you it is your birthday today right
7: it's my birthday today yes happy
5: birthday to you i owe you thank a big you, birthday steak uh, adam credo washington that. free beacon thank you very much this is the buck sexton Thanks, show we'll be right back By now, you've probably heard us talk about snippy.com, a new social media site. If you've looked at snippy.com and left, look again. Thousands of our listeners have joined snippy.com expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely. ...without suppression from administrators. Check into snippy.com for a quick update on politics, sports, current events, food, fashion, anything really. Scroll through the user's posts, strike up conversations. You can search by topic, browse the newsfeed, and follow your favorite writers. Snippy is a place where everyone is free to express their thoughts, share their opinions, and tell the world what makes them snippy. It's a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters... Totally free to join, open to everyone. Join us at snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android. Snippy, your new alternative social media.
9: We're much tougher. We're much smarter. We're much more sane We believe in the process. We don't run around like Antifa with the little arms and then go home, back home, into mommy's basement. And put on the black uniform and the black helmet. Oh, it's so disappointing when those helmets fall off and you look at this weak little face, isn't it? And they hit people with clubs, you know. They hit them again and again. Oh, they're so lucky with nice. Oh. Oh, they're so lucky.
5: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam covering for Buck Sexton today. That was one of my favorite moments from uh, from President Trump's speech uh, on Thursday evening, uh, calling out Antifa yet again. You'll remember he's Antifa. done that before. He's done it before, <laughs> exactly, with with having... Uh, uh, the tequila song i think it was being made a meme of um, and uh, it's that's, it's certainly long overdue i believe because you know from from about september the 1st 2015 uh, to october the 29th 2018 uh, i believe there were 632 acts of violence and harassment against supporters Of this president of supporters of President Trump this is the the Antifa mindset you know they often argue themselves that the reason that Antifa cannot be prescribed as an organization the reason that Antifa uh, cannot be dealt with on an institutional basis the way we might deal with uh, a group like al-Muha or or a terror faction or a a far-right neo-Nazi group or whatever it is is because they say themselves Antifa says themselves they say, but Antifa is not a, a, not a group, it doesn't have a leadership, it's just a mindset, man. Well, you're right. I mean, it is a mindset. There are members of Antifa, there are members who subscribe to that mindset, they wear the t-shirts, they fly the flags. Antifa is a mindset of violence. It's a mindset of harassment. It's a mindset that's born out of being, as President Trump intimated there, weak, I believe both physically and of will, philosophically void. And I also believe deeply, deeply troubled individuals who believe they truly believe in their minds that they are relitigating the Spanish Civil War on the streets of Delaware or on the streets of Florida or in the streets of California. They truly believe. And by the way, One of the greatest diarists of that Spanish Civil War, George Orwell, would have nothing to do with Antifa. I say that as an Orwell aficionado. But nevertheless, you know, this is something that does need addressing, because when there's an attack from the right or ostensibly from the right to the left, everybody gets on their soapbox, everybody gets on their high horse. And they say, we must condemn this and the president needs to condemn it. And he's not condemned it fast enough. He didn't condemn it before it happened. So it wasn't fast enough. But when there's attack from the left, an attack against the deplorables, against the Trump supporters, the 632 acts of violence against Trump supporters over the last two years, it's pitch silence. It's always silence. You don't get the television shows, showing the footage, you don't get the radio programs, playing the clips, it's stone cold silence. And I think it behooves this administration, and I'm so glad President Trump raised it, to actually do something about it. To say, you know what, there is, and of course we know there is, a strain, no matter how small, a strain of far-right and neo-Nazi violence all across the Western world. I've seen it all across the Western world. Yes, it exists. But you'll never get the other side saying that about their side. I am a vowed conservative. I'm a right winger. And I say, yes, there are people who try and attach themselves to a movement that I profess to be a part of that do engage in things like that. And the other side never has to account for theirs. So this administration, I believe, should be doing something about it. Whether it's prescription of the organization that isn't an organization, whether it's ensuring that the people who are committing these attacks on ordinary American voters, that they feel the full force of the law. I'm just so glad President Trump raised it. And I'm so glad he told the truth that these are weak people. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton. And we have another one of our fantastic guests On the line, Dr. Sebastian Gorka, the author of the brand new book, Why We Fight, which is available via uh, Regnery um, on Amazon.com. It's a fantastic book. I was uh, lucky enough to celebrate its release with Dr. Gorka here in Washington, D.C. just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, You'll all know him as a uh, former deputy assistant to President Trump. Dr. Gorka, thank you for joining us here on The Buck Sexton Show.
8: Thank you so much for having me and uh, for the kind words about my book, which is almost as good as your book, No uh, no zones.
5: <laughs> Thank you. You'll get your uh, cut of my royalty checks in the mail. Um, Dr. Gorka, um, you know, uh, you're an expert and, and you and I have known each other for several years now. And, and whenever we get together, we end up talking about... Um, you know, one of the issues closest to our hearts, uh, national security. Um, And and when you look at what's going on in in Central America at the moment, when you look at what's going on with this um, so-called migrant caravan, I don't even know why they call it a caravan. There's no caravan involved. This is a march of migrants, much much as we saw in Europe uh, in 2014 and 15 and 16. Um, What does it tell you, first and foremost, That the media is going to such great lengths to say, no, you don't know that there are any criminals in there. It's all mothers. You know, we need to process these people with their asylum claims on the border. They all deserve to come in. Is that a political tactic? Or are they they genuinely that uh, uh, vacuous that they don't know what's going on?
8: I think it's deeper than that. I I think... uh Well, I think they subscribed to to Hillary Clinton's philosophy. Remember that speech that was leaked during the presidential campaign in which she addressed a group of bankers and and where she said, my dream is to have a borderless hemisphere, meaning no borders from Canada to South America, at which point America ceases to exist. So these are people who are so, so brainwashed by the postmodern secular relativism of, of the radical left, that they actually think everybody has the right to come to America, that being an American is, is some kind of human right. It, it's, it's quite stunning. And, and the idea that they can vouch for the, for the probity of, of 10,000 people without ever having met any of them, it just simply beggars belief. And it is an assault on the national sovereignty of the United States.
5: In case anybody had forgotten, you know, Hillary Clinton's words back in 2013, she was giving a, a paid speech, right, to investors at the uh, yes. Brazilian Banco Itau, And she said, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders. I mean, very, very brazen about it. And so what you're saying, Dr. Gorka, is these guys, whether it's, you know, Jim Acosta or, or Chris Cuomo or whomever, uh, are just carrying Clinton's torch where where she stumbled fell over, rolled over a couple of times, had a coughing fit, and dropped it in two
8: thousand and sixteen. Look, they they are the anti Brexit. They are the people who think that borders are evil, that that national identity is what fascists and white supremacists believe in. They negate. They they basically negate the modern westphalian system that is the the quintessence of of the judeo-christian you know civilization whereby nations have identities they have Mm. sovereignty they have order they have culture for for them all of these words are hate speech so let's
5: talk a little bit about the specifics of the caravan then um you know who 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 are these people How is this thing funded? How come we're now seeing uh, buses and and trailers? And more importantly, how come we're now seeing rocks and Molotov cocktails and so on and so forth? I thought this was all mothers with babes in arms.
8: (laughs) Um, Well, I I think we should uh, look to the incredible work of people like my colleague at Fox, Sarah Carter, who speaks Spanish. And who actually went there to interview and investigate the caravan as opposed to, uh, Jim Acosta, whose real name I think is Albio Acosta, who seems to be ashamed of his Hispanic heritage, who sit in their plush studios in New York and pontificate about who is in the caravan. If you listen to Sarah, these are the majority of the people are military age males none of whom seem to have any, any backing, any grounds for requesting political asylum. And if you look at the fact that even, what it was it, Univision, uh, by accident, found South Asians inside the caravans, mm. people, for example, from Bangladesh, uh, that's journalism when you actually go there and interview these people.
5: And very few, including, as you say, Abilio, Abilio Acosta, uh, Jim Acosta's real name, which, by the way, we all have to refer to him as. Everybody's got to tweet at him that now. I mean, why why, why is he hiding his, his, his... Is he ashamed of his heritage? I saw that on your Twitter feed today, Dr. Gorka.
8: Thank you. It, it really is, a, this is. This is the arrogance of the left, that they... They can't even admit to their ethnic background because they're a member of the "quote-unquote" media elite. Jim, you're no longer Jim to those who know.
5: <laughs> well, Dr. Walker, I wanted to uh, I wanted to also tie this to the midterms because the the you know the question on everyone's lips has been now for the last week as regards this migrant caravan is you know when will it arrive? When will it arrive on the southern border? Will it get there on on Sunday and or Monday? Or, or Tuesday morning ready for the for the pictures of, of of you know the the five crying children that they'll line up there and and then accuse President Trump of being cold and heartless and so on and so forth um and and you know that sort of is one of the big uh, topics on the minds of people this weekend I think as they reconcile you know perhaps that same as you raised it the 2013 Hillary Clinton mentality versus what we've seen over the last two years so just let's let's talk a bit about what the, not just what the stakes are, obviously, at the midterms, and, and and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Gawker is a co-star uh, alongside me in that Trumpet War movie that we spoke with uh, Stephen K. Bannon about earlier in the program, um, and, and actually gets the, the best part of the movie because he has the best voice and the best uh, uh, metaphor at the end of the movie. Seb, I think, I hope you can walk us through that a little bit, what you said in Trump at War and what, what the stakes of this midterms are, especially considering not just the migrant caravan, but the economic situation. And I know you always bring up, you know, what what, what are the Democrats going to run on bringing back ISIS? Take it away.
8: Thank you, Raheem. Uh, it, it's really, it's very simple. In 2016, the positive disruptor, the iconoclast from Queens, gave us a window, gave us a chance to claw back our freedom, to claw back our republic's space uh, as as the the rightful shining city on the hill, to, to to fight back, to to resist the political correctness that had dominated American politics and culture for more than a generation, but. All of that, all of that is on the ballot in, what is it, four days' time? Yep. Just look at the last two months. I, I wrote Why We Fight, and not just as an analysis of the threats America faces, but uh, to shed a light on who the Democrats have become. In it, I, I write about Whitaker Chambers, the man who was Judge Kavanaugh before Judge Kavanaugh was even born. The, the Democrat party today is the mob. You look at the, the treatment of this righteous, godly man at the hands of absolute frauds like Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and Dianne Feinstein, who had, let's not forget, a Chinese intelligence agent on her payroll right. in the Senate for 20 years. And these people want to take control of our lives. Maxine Waters, who has called openly again and again and again for the um, denunciation and the harassment of members of the Trump administration, she's going to be the chair of the Finance Committee if we don't do our job on on the uh, midterm elections and vote down to get Republican all the way. So everybody says it every few years, this is the most consequential election in your lives. This time, for once, it's actually true, Raheem.
5: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, I opened I opened the uh, the the show today, effectively saying the same thing. I'm I'm not one for hyperbole. If anything, I sort of take conservative estimates of, of, of occasions as well as, um, uh, you know, elections and, and so on and so forth. But this this does feel just just incredibly pivotal. It's about cemen- whether or not it cements the victory. Uh, of 2016 whether or not the swamp continues to be drained um or whether the american people say no actually you know what we changed our minds we do kind of like the swamp and we do want higher taxes and we do want isis back you know as, as you've as you've put it before and i just don't i don't think at least i i don't hope um, that they'll go in for it, um, Dr. Gorka. I wish we had, uh, I wish we had some more time, but uh, we're pressed here. And I know uh, you have a very busy schedule coming up over the next few days, doing your part. Um, and if people want to do their part in helping you, they can always go on to uh, Amazon uh, and and get uh, the great book, personally recommended by me. It's called Why We Fight by Dr. Sebastian Gorker. Dr. Gorka, any final words? And and where else can they get the book if they don't want to line Jeff Bezos's pockets?
8: Well, they can go to Barnes & Noble, they can buy it from one of the few booksellers left in America, and also uh, the Audible, you can go and buy it on iTunes or Audible in audio format, and you can hear my strange accent for about eight hours reading you the book. But most important of all is, you know, buy the book if you're interested in my take on why we fight. But most important of all, don't take anything for granted. Go and vote for this week, and take others who would not otherwise go to the polls take them to vote as well because it really is about whether or not the mob's going to take control of your life.
5: Jobs, not mobs. There you go. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton show. My name is Raheem Kassam covering for Buck Sexton today. We'll be right back.
4: To you, We have an election. November 6th. This is big. This may be the most important one that you've ever had to experience. This is the midterm election, and oftentimes people only vote in the presidential election because they don't think this is important enough. But this is absolutely important. That's all the insurance companies, that's all the banks. And so, of course, the CEOs of the banks now are saying, what can we do to stop Maxine Waters? Because if she gets in, she's gonna give us a bad time. I have not forgotten you foreclosed on our houses. I have not forgotten that you undermined our community. I have not forgotten that you sold us those exotic products, had us signed on the line for junk and for mess that we could not afford. And in doing that, I have people who are on the homeless who have never gotten back into a home. What am I going to do to you? What I'm going to do to you is fair. I'm going to do to you what you did to us.
5: Maxine Waters there. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. Maxine Waters, Congressman Maxine Waters, uh, showing again the sort of vindictiveness as far as I am concerned and, and puerile nature of the debate as the Democrats have set it up. Now, those who have been paying attention, I'm sure we all have over the last couple of months, have seen the debate go further and further into the toilet. Um, with the Michael Avenatti's and and the Kavanaugh stuff and and, and all of that. And and they're not learning their lessons as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you want to hold up Maxine Waters to be your uh, greatest spokesman, I mean, fill your boots as far as I'm concerned, because it only helps uh, my side and it only helps people with my mentality. But it also does something else for me. It reminds me that not only are they so petty, are they so vindictive, but that they've also got... The prescription incorrect. I mean, think about what she just said there. Think about the sort of house foreclosures and the and the financial crash and all of this stuff. That wasn't that wasn't the making of a of a sort of free market right wing nor nationalistic nor populist government. It wasn't the making of someone like President Trump. It wasn't the making of the MAGA base. It was the making of globalist institutions. So when President Trump says that the left have gone crazy, I think that's a pretty good uh, explainer for it. In fact, uh, if we could play clip one from uh, the Missouri rally, President Trump says it better than I ever could.
9: The choice in this election could not be more clear. The Republican agenda is the mainstream agenda of the American people. It's how we all got here. The greatest movement in the history of politics in our country. It's about you, not about me. The Democrat agenda is the agenda of the extreme far left. They've gone crazy, folks. They've gone totally loco.
5: They have gone loco. They have absolutely gone loco. And I know that a lot of it is calculated projection. Don't get me wrong. I was a, I was a political strategist. I was a campaign person. I understand that, that the lies happen, that some of them know what they're doing when they blame this administration for for the pitfalls of globalism. And, and also, by the way, by the same measure, Barack Obama wants to take uh, credit for where the economy is right now, which I always scratch my head, by the way, because I think I hear time and time again from the left and the left media that this country is in dire straits and it's all a fake boom and this president is making things worse and Barack Obama walks onto stage and he goes, yeah, I did that, that was me. Well, hold on, you can either take credit if you think it's good or distance yourself from it if you think it's bad. You can't do both, but that's what they're doing. So I know a lot of it is, is lies and projection, but there are people like Maxine Waters who sadly I believe you know she I think she believes what she says, bless her, or as as you guys say, bless bless her cotton socks right i mean this is this is um I mean it reminds me of 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 being back in England quite frankly, I mean after the Brexit vote, some of you will probably know I wouldn't suggest paying particularly close attention to it because it's it's eminently depressing, but after the Brexit vote, we voted for that great rebellious um instinct that we had within us. And the political establishment took that away from us and turned it into a process. They turned it into an administrative state thing. And and I guess that's the same thing as you're seeing here um, in the United States as well. So I just, you know, I wanted the, to present you guys with that dichotomy between what Maxine Waters says on the stump versus what President Trump said at the Missouri rally this week. And a lot more to come uh, this weekend. I'm, I'm certainly going to be uh, glued to watching it all take place. This is... The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam covering for Buck Sexton. Today, wanted to get a little bit more detail for you guys on some of the races taking place across the country, culmination in just four days' time. On Tuesday, we will know, does the House stay Republican-controlled? Does the Senate Joining us on the line to discuss it is a good friend of mine, commentator and analyst Matthew Tierman. Matthew, you've been following this I think like no other I've seen. I mean, maybe maybe Pat Cadell could go toe to toe with you on this one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite pollsters. But uh, I think uh, I think you know you have become uh, obsessed to to. Uh, I don't, well, I don't know. You tell me. To what lengths uh, would you suggest that your obsession has engulfed you?
1: No, I don't, I don't know. if it's, I think that might be a little extreme, but, you know... Uh, it's we, all
5: you're uh, talking uh, about. It's all you're talking what, about. Then? It's all you're talking no, about.
1: This is, this is a very, you know, because this is a very, very interesting moment, because in 2016 we had an American electoral historic inflection. Uh, Trump did something no one did, which is take down the Union Rust Belt Democrat machine and make it Republican. And now 2018 we get to see, is that validated? Uh, Now, the the map is pretty difficult on the House, as the mainstream media has suggested. Uh, But this blue wave they've been talking about for the last few months has not only not materialized, it may actually be stillborn. Uh, The Senate is what nobody's really talking about, because we could win a lot of Senate seats. Uh, Right now, we're pretty safe with 50-51, and there's what they're calling six toss-up. Senate seats. And we should be able to run the 10 by we. I mean, Republicans, uh, you know, on the on the right, the uh, pro-Trump Republicans, not the uh, old school establishment uh, GOP. They also got uh, their bus handed to them in 2016 on a lot of levels, which has been refreshing. Uh, But there's six established toss up seats. And we look to. Basically, run the table on them. Uh, the, uh, the the only one that's really difficult is Florida. Florida's uh, sort of the new Ohio, and is very very important for 2020 because if the Democrats win both the Senate seat and the governor's mansion, mm. they will be in charge of redistricting, and uh, they will be able to have some influence on where the fourth biggest state and really the most purple state in the country uh, swings in 2020. It's a you know it used to be the presidency was run won through Ohio, but going forward, Forward, it looks like it's going to be Florida because uh, Texas, California, New York, the uh, three largest states ahead of Florida are rather established, Texas, Republican, California, and New York uh, Democrat. But the six swing states uh, that exist right now in this Senate race are uh, are uh, uh, Florida, which is absolutely a coin flip, Missouri, Claire McCaskill's in big trouble there, Indiana, uh, is also uh, Joe Donnelly, Democrat incumbent, is in big trouble there against Braun. Uh, Nevada Heller, the incumbent, uh, looks like he's in pretty good position. Arizona, uh, which is a open seat McCain seat, which is uh, I'm sorry Flake seat, which is uh, McS- Mark McSally, uh, established uh, Congresswoman in K- Kristen Cinema also a Democrat-established congresswoman. Uh, and Cinema has been uh, sort of digging her own grave with the historical act of leftist activism she's been engaged in. Uh, they're digging up all these videos of her uh, saying things like, you know, she can empathize with the Taliban uh, and, you know, fighting America, you know, how, is okay, and calls uh, Arizona the meth lab of democracy. Uh, so there's uh, all these seats uh, look like, and Montana was the other one, all look like we can pick them up. But the ones that nobody's talking about are ones that are Lean Democrat or firmly Democrat, according to the establishment pollsters, and that's seats like West Virginia and Joe Manchin. uh, Michigan, uh, Debbie Stabenow. Uh, There's a great candidate, John James, who's coming on strong. Trump is going to to campaign for him uh, this weekend. Uh, Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin, also vulnerable. Wisconsin, remember, went for Trump, which was a big surprise. Hillary Clinton didn't campaign there. And Trump did something brilliant, which was in the last couple days, he went to Minneapolis. Uh, and that's a media market that uh, impacts western Wisconsin and northern Wisconsin, Duluth, Minnesota, as well. So, I mean, these uh, these permutations could get us to 57, 58, 59 in the Senate. Uh, Minnesota, as well, has a special election. Uh, Al Franken resigned for uh, that he had his Me Too moment. And the appointee was uh, Tina Smith, who was lieutenant governor, and she's running to keep the seat against a state senator, Karen Housley. And this is 50-50, and nobody's talking about this. And if if, uh, your listeners recall, Al Franken only won the seat from Norm Coleman uh, in 2012 because uh, there was a recount, and they were able to get the felon vote in. 340 uh, felons were counted in the Minneapolis Democratic machine in Hennepin Mm -hmm. County and were able to swing that election. It was a a multi-month recount, and that seat was stolen. So Minnesota is really, really interesting, because it looks like it could be a new Ohio as well, and go from a progressive bastion, uh, which it was like Wisconsin historically for the last 60, 70 years, uh, along with Michigan, the heart of union progressivism, And now it looks like it could, uh, it could start to be Republican. Minnesota 8 is, uh, is in the northeastern part of the state. And that one, the Republican, uh, Stauber has a commanding lead. Uh, so that one looks like it's going to flip. Minnesota 7, nobody's talking about. That's been held by a Democrat for 30 years. It's a Democrat that's sort of an old-school Democrat, blue-dog Democrat, member of both the Democratic Party and the Democratic Farmer Labor Party, which is sort of a, mm-hmm. uh, a historical anomaly that exists in Minnesota, uh, which is, as it sounds, farmer labor. And so this uh, Colin Peterson's been there for for decades. And he has, in the last three races, watched his his spread, positive spread, over Republican challengers go from plus six or seven to plus three or four to less than plus one last Mm. cycle against the guy opposing him now, David Hughes, who at that point was a nobody. Nobody knew him. He was a 21-year career U.S. Air Force vet. Who had gone into private contracting as a drone instructor and is very, very strong on the border issues. This is what his uh, private sector background was is uh, in drone instruction uh, to monitor the southern and the northern border and he 's coming on strong. I spoke to somebody on the ground there who uh, estimated that the yard signs in the district in Minnesota seven are four to five to one uh, Hughes versus peterson so that 's one that nobody 's talking about that I think is going to flip. Uh, there are certainly some that uh, that the media machine has written off as uh, Republican flip to Democrats like Iowa 1, Rod Bloom. I don't think that one is 10 to 1, as uh, as they're suggesting. You know, whenever I see Nate Silver say that Republicans have a 1 in 15 or 1 in 12 shot, I generally think, and history has borne this out, it's more like 1 in 3 or 4, which, if things turn out as they are, we had a great economic number today with jobs,
8: the Mm. Kavanaugh
1: dynamic over the last month, uh, I think these one in three or one in four scenarios, a lot of them could break toward Republicans. I actually think we keep the House and we, the the net loss of seats is five to ten. You know, we've got a 20 plus. Uh, and the media who is talking about the blue wave, uh, this doesn't exist. Trump today in West Virginia. That if you uh, want a blue wave you 're voting for a crime wave, which I thought was a great talking point, given their views on borders and uh, policing and general law enforcement hawk- hawkishness on uh, on the military and foreign policy. Uh, so there's a lot of these seats that uh, a lot of the establishment pollsters, and that's right and left, have kind of written off. Uh, Maine, too, Bruce Poliquin, the only Republican in New England and all the New England states, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. He's the only one. He's in Maine, too, which is also the largest physical district in New England. It's all the way from uh, where the urban and uh, sort of suburban Maine ends with uh, Bangor and uh, and Rockport, all the way to Canada. It's this massive district, and it's rather poor. It's a lot of Indian reservations. It's a lot of uh, defunct paper and timber mills. And Bruce Poliquin's a Republican. On on the ground there, it's all about God, guns, and small government. And he has been very strong for the district. He uh, is known all over Congress as somebody who really represents the district. Uh, they put up a very good candidate, Jared Golden, who was uh, a former military and was actually a Republican staffer for Susan Collins before going into the uh, state house as a Democrat. And yes. so on paper, he's pretty good. But the more he campaigns, the more left he sounds. And leftist rhetoric doesn't win in Maine, too, which is... Indian reservation country and very very strong on the Second Amendment, uh, given its uh, sort of hunting culture and bordering Canada and, and let's, sort of the, um, uh, the wilderness. Let's
5: just let's just reset here for a moment because there's a lot of information uh, for for people to take in and and I know your brain works a mile a minute and your mouth works even faster, Matthew. Let's let's just that's reset fair. with uh, we're speaking to Matthew Tierman. He's a um, obviously clearly from the last seven minutes a, a pretty good analyst on all of this sort of thing, um, elections and and, and more. And, um, Matthew, so you're pretty bullish is what you're saying. I mean, you're, you're a lot of people are hedging right now. A lot of people, especially behind closed doors, people I'm speaking to every day, are saying, look, you know, we have to present a, a brave front to this, um, but the likelihood is we are going to lose the House. You don't think it's that way at all?
1: I don't think it's that way at all. I think that certainly we'll lose a few seats in California due to redistricting and retirements like Ed Royce. Uh, but I, that will be offset. Uh, with some of this upper Midwest Rust Belt, like Minnesota. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the, the necessary pathway for the Democrats to take the House is through places like Illinois. And yeah, Illinois 6, suburbs suburbs of Chicago, Pete Roskam, is probably done. That area has transitioned to more Chicago City-style politics, machine politics. But Illinois 12, 13, and 14 two of which are in downstate south of St. Louis farm country, uh, uh, Boston Davis's seat, those were Trump plus uh, 15 and plus 6, respectively. Those yeah. seats are fine. And uh, Denny Hastert's old seat in Illinois 14, uh, that was Trump plus 4 and hasn't really changed at all, the uh, incumbent, Hulchgren, should be fine. And the irony is that uh, the Dems are running with this marketing campaign. This uh, young lady who lives in her parents, uh, her parents' house, she's 30-something, and has had to market herself as if she's a, uh, a nurse and knows health care, and she's seven months out of graduation and never really worked in a clinical setting. So it's all kind of uh, fluffy noise. And uh, I don't think they're going to pick up these seats that's necessary for them uh, to do. In New York State, which is obviously, you know, Democratic governor, two Democratic senators, what you see a lot of is something we've talked in the past, given that your British uh, political background is the Tory factor. Is mm. you see a lot of polling where uh, people won't admit that they're going to vote for the Republican. And so New York 22 is a great example. It's sort of yes. in the center of the state, north of Albany, all the way up to Canada. It's uh, uh, Claudia Tenney. And that was a Trump plus 15 and also Romney plus uh, almost one. And so it's pulling within the margin of error in the Northeast. So I think Tory factor has this within the margin of error. But I think this is solid Trump country. Hmm. Uh, there is a, a certainly going to be a loss, I think, in New York 19, which is John Faso's seat. Uh, that's north of New York City. Well, Matthew, the, uh, the- I
5: wish I, I w- honestly I wish we could have all of this uh, uh, laid out. But we are we are tight on time. Um, so so your your predictions are gain in the senate and don't lose the house
1: we could gain up to 58 even 59 in the senate and we'll keep the house with a margin of 10 to 15 is my call and, well, if, well, if, and you if i'm wrong and off a little bit in that we'll still be fine in the house I, I think that this is all uh sound and fury told by an idiot as the mainstream media and the establishment pollsters generally are wrong and push their agenda not the truth
5: but it does require people to go out and vote does it not
1: it does. And I think that's also a big dynamic that's not captured by the polls, which is we are way more motivated than, for instance, the youth Democrat activists who the articles are talking about couldn't figure out how to stamp an absentee ballot yeah. and send it. It's very easy for them to talk about going. But when it when it actually push comes to shove, one more race that's really important and, and has real national significance is the New Jersey Senate race. Uh, if it rains on Tuesday, which is actually looking like the percentages of are going up, it might uh, then the walking around money that you get in Camden, Newark, uh, East Orange, Patterson won't go as far. And I think Bob Huggin, who's running a phenomenal campaign and phenomenal ad campaign against Menendez, who was indicted right. for corruption, uh, he's running a $30 million ad campaign. I live in New York. I even see Well, We, will, we
5: will definitely uh, keep a close eye on that one as well, Matthew. But we've got to leave it there. Matthew Tierman, commentator and analyst, thank you so much for joining us here on The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take my privacy back using Express vpn expressvpn has easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer phone and tablet turning on expressvpn protection only takes one click protecting yourself with expressvpn costs less than seven dollars a month and expressvpn is rated the number one vpn service by tech radar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee so if you ever use public wi-fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data expressvpn is the solution and if you don't want to hand over your entire online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com buck. That's express, expressvpn.com slash buck. For three months free with a one-year package, visit expressvpn.com buck to learn more
9: no no you know what you're creating violence by your questions you know you are creating you and also a lot of the reporters are creating violence by not writing the truth the fake news is creating violence and you know what the people that support trump and the people that support us which is a lot of people most people many people those people know what a story is true And they know what a story is false. And I'll tell you what, if the media would write correctly and write accurately and write fairly, you'd have a lot less violence in the country.
5: This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. That was President Trump speaking today, pointing the finger right back at what I like to call the fake news industrial complex. We have heard, have we not, for several years now, gosh, it feels like perhaps a lot longer, We've heard for several years that that President Trump and the deplorables, the mugger supporters out there, are the ones behind all the violence out there, right? Forget the 600-odd attacks on them over the course of the last few years that I mentioned earlier on in the show. No, the fingers always point squarely at this president and his supporters. But he's turned the tables on them yet again. I don't say how they didn't see this coming. I mean, we're quite used to this president being able to uh, uh, quite effectively shimmy his way out of these sort of holes and boxes that they try and uh, try and put him in. Uh, but again, they've they've gone for it. Remember, they they introduced the term fake news to try and attack President Trump. And now, when you think of fake news as a term, I mean, in England, it has become synonymous with the BBC. And I would argued that a lot of people's minds jump to CNN when they hear that term. So, so President Trump employing his uh, oft-proven tactic of turning the situation back on the establishment here, saying, no, actually, it's fake reporting that is causing a lot of the consternation which leads to violence in the United States. I happen to quite agree. And it's not just through this administration. It's been around for a very long time you know fake news is nothing new fake news started with the advent of news i mean here in washington dc there is a there is a museum that i commend to everyone called the museum now there's a lot of uh, anti-trump stuff in that in that museum uh, but what it will do is it will show you how you know n- news started as pamphleteering political pamphleteering so people would make things up they would naturally make things up or or portray opponents in a bad light news organizations and pamphlets and magazines were owned by political figures who used them and indeed in your founding of your country use them to smear one another use them to do each other down the idea of neutrality um in the news sphere really only came along at the same time as sort of Fukuyama's end of history theory was becoming uh ingrained in the minds of of, of the elite the people who who had the reins of power They thought, "Hey, look! This is how the world is now: open trade, open borders, you know, uh, multiculturalism, the diversity doctrine, so on and so forth." And along with that came, you know, the end of the end of, uh, of of the idea of a back and forth that people, ordinary people, could make their own minds up as to what they were being presented. Right? I don't come on here on this radio show today and say I am a neutral arbiter of the news. I have no dog in any fight. It's a nonsense. It doesn't exist. It would be asking us to put our very, our very core, our very spirit uh, as, as human beings uh, to a side, which I would argue is impossible. And, and, you know, I can say that over the course of four or five minutes, but President Trump has this magnificent way of just boiling it down to just a couple of sentences. And he says, no, you know what? You're creating violence by your questions. The fake news is creating violence. And had it not been for the fact that all of these guys and girls out there had portrayed themselves for so long as neutral arbiters of the news, and we sort of went along with it, right, then we wouldn't have found ourselves in this situation. But now people realize that they're being lied to. And now people realize uh, that some of the things that we were told, whether it was about the economy or the Iraq war or so on and so forth, that we were being sold pups, we were being sold lies, Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. Joining me now on the line is the president of the Claremont Institute. And full disclosure, I am a Claremont Institute Lincoln Fellow. I can't speak highly enough about the Claremont Institute, so I'm delighted to have Ryan Williams joining us now, not least because uh, Ryan was uh, instrumental in a, uh, a new article going up on the a, uh, a Claremont Institute website, AmericanMind.org. I suggest you all take a look at this Slightly spicy. I think it's called "Our House Divided: Multiculturalism Versus America." It's by Thomas D. Klingenstein, and it's a fascinating article. Ryan, thanks for joining us to to, to discuss this. Um, I guess I guess there's always trepidation when um, when publishing something like this, especially you know an August institution like the Claremont Institute. Uh, wading into into the debate surrounding multiculturalism, I mean, I personally don't have an issue doing it myself, but you know what kind of rocks get thrown by the establishment media uh, when something like this happens? So, just like let's let's talk through this article a little bit. Let's talk about its its um, its uh, 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 prognosis over multiculturalism, and then and then perhaps you can talk us through a little bit of the thought process behind this.
6: Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Raheem. Uh, well, Tom seen is, uh, full disclosure, a Claremont's board chairman, which, uh, of course, is in his byline. But um, <clears throat> he wanted to uh, update this term multiculturalism, which a lot of us probably hadn't heard since the 90s, uh, and tie it to identity politics and political correctness, mm-hmm. and really to, to lay the blame for um, for the some of our pathologies and our identity politics pathologies and our current political pathologies at the feet of the Academy and the project that it's been... Uh, been going about for the last 50 years.
5: It's pretty um it's it's pretty in depth. I mean it, it doesn't it doesn't pull any punches here. I mean, you know, looking at uh, looking at both uh the the establishment's perspective on multiculturalism as well as the rights perspective on multiculturalism. Um what do you think the the key takeaways from um from uh uh Dr. Klingenstein are?
8: Well, his
6: his one of his um, his lead point was really that uh, a lot of conservatives didn't understand what Trump was doing. Uh, and he draws a provocative analogy between Trump and Lincoln and his mm-hmm. point is that in you know in the slavery crisis in the 1850s Lincoln oriented his whole political project around uh, getting rid of slavery and making sure that the principle that it was right didn't spread uh, which was the principle of the south and that uh, uh, m- m- all the means that were at his disposal were in pursuit of that goal so Tom's analogy is to uh, try to unite conservatives these days uh, behind Trump because he gets one thing right at least, at the very least, and that's the insanity of political correctness and its tyrannical nature. So Tom, Tom thinks that we ought to keep that in view, and uh, you know that ought to um, orient us and and uh, put Trump in context and put the larger project of what should be the larger project of conservatism these days um, within focus. So it might mean a set of policy priorities that that uh, conservative inc is not used to Uh, it might mean a lying behind a man that they're uncomfortable with Um, but the main goal should be kept in sight because really uh, if we allow multiculturalism and identity politics to become the dominant way of thinking in american national political life then the games up
5: yeah i'm just gonna quote from this article a little bit and then and then we'll come back and and discuss more of it um quote trump's entire campaign was a defense of america the election was fought not so much over policies character Uh, email servers or james comey as it was over the meaning of america trump's wall was not so much about keeping foreigners out as it was keeping a commitment to a distinctive country immigration free trade and foreign policy were about protecting our own in these policies trump was raising the question who are we as a nation he answered by being trump a man made in america unmistakably and unapologetically american and like most of his fellow citizens one who does not give a hoot what Europeans or intellectuals think. And I picked that I picked
6: that
5: uh, uh, paragraph on purpose because not only do I hold one might argue that I am a European intellectual, right? Uh,
6: yeah, we give you a pass though, Raheem. You're <laughs> our favorite European intellectual.
5: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it, that's, that, that makes it pretty clear-cut. And, and I, I suppose maybe we can reflect on, on the up, impending midterm elections using that as well. I mean, when you've looked at this, um, and, and, and you're typically out in, uh, in California, right? When you've looked at the last uh, couple of months of campaigning, whether it's been Avenatti and Stormy Daniels, whether it's been Brett Kavanaugh, whether it's been migrant caravans, it all seems to be coming back to what Tom and Cl- Thomas Klingenstein has written in this article, right? What it means to be America. What, what America uh, not just um, allows, but what also what it tolerates. And does it really tolerate uh, having its commander-in-chief um, you know, having his genitalia brought up in in news articles, having you know, um, blow up dolls of him like dressed as a rat. Now it tolerates it in the sense of freedom of speech and freedom of expression. But I think to to borrow the website name of yours, I think the American mind rejects that, right? I think they don't see it as fair play. They don't see it as fair game. whereas the whereas the presidential campaign as as this article suggests, uh, you know, it did come down to, and I said at the beginning of this radio show today, I, I quoted Lincoln in in defense of, of this president, uh, which is why I wanted to have you on. It comes down to what, you know, what this country looks like. And I think that's why, of course, the migrant caravan issue is 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 uh, looming so large as an issue, right?
6: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Trump's critics see criticism of a migrant caravan or criticism of foreigners who, might not be suitable for Republican government as simply racist or white nationalist or other, some other absurd, uh, ad hominem mm. attack. Whereas, you know, I think Tom likes to point out in the article, and I think you can find it in many of Trump's uh, speeches as well, that what we're really talking about is a, a common citizenry sharing, uh, with shared borders, uh, which has every right to determine the who who new citizens ought to be and the criteria for admitting, um, People who want to join this political community. So, in that sense, it's it's thoroughly American and goes back all the way to our theory of constitutionalism, and the Declaration, and the idea that we all consent together to form a government. that doesn't have anything to do with whiteness or uh, or um, the nastier strains of of modern nationalist politics uh, of the European variety.
5: Mm. Now, you guys are no strangers to publishing controversial articles in September. Of two thousand and sixteen you published a michael anton essay the flight ninety three election I just want to quote from that because it was really one of those prescient articles that left an, an indelible mark on on me and I think the the American intellectual mind that was trying to analyze what was going on there uh, i quote from uh, from michael anton who who wrote um, at the time under a pseudonym um, and uh, went on to serve on the national security Council. he said. Uh, In the opening of this article, 2016 is a Flight 93 election. Charge the cockpit or you die. You may die anyway. You or the leader of your party may make it into the cockpit and not know how to fly or land the plane. There are no guarantees except one. If you don't try, death is certain. To compound the metaphor, a Hillary Clinton presidency is Russian roulette with a semi-auto. With Trump... At least you can spin the cylinder and take your chances, <laughs> Ryan. You know, you guys, you guys are really putting the putting the cat amongst the pigeons with this sort of thing. So, so just talk us through. I mean, Claremont is a is a fantastic institution, a fantastic think tank, um, and 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 comes up with. I mean, I've got to tell you, some of their fellows and, and board members and so on and so forth. I mean, one of my favorites being uh, Professor jo- John Marini, who I believe has a book coming out shortly about the administrative state, which I'm sort of obsessed by um yeah. but 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 when you do these things i mean do you sort of balk do you think oh you know we're going to be attacked by you know the weekly standard or national review or something like you say conservative ink is going to round on us
6: yeah uh, that's always a concern of course uh but you know i think as a lot of us have realized um you know trump is a uh, a symptom not a cause of the scrambling of our modern post cold war politics i think this was a and um an, uh, you know the fusionism that emerged that sustained conservatism through the mid century and beyond uh, had kind of stopped making sense mm. in the post cold war world so this this um disintermediation to use a fancy word that Matt Cottonetti has used before um, yes. you know was inevitable, and we're, we're just trying to think our way through it uh, at times uh you know the body politic needs a little bit of shocking polemics rather than just another scholarly book, so when the time calls for it we we thought it was uh was prudent to pursue a, a little more of a, a hot take <laughs> or well, spicy as you called the uh, spicy the absolutely TV well I,
5: I, I honestly ryan i really appreciate it and i really appreciate the the american it's a it's a relatively new publication uh that you guys have started out of the claremont institute and uh it's got just some fantastic articles so i just wanted to have you on plug that and thank you for all your efforts
6: I appreciate it, Raheem, and I encourage everyone to check out, of course, our classic Claremont Review books as well, which is uh, uh, absolutely you know, getting better.
5: A must read. Ryan Williams, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. The website is AmericanMind.org. Make sure you check out the Claremont Institute. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back.
6: I keep trying to point out to people not to demonize any one group or any one ethnicity, but we keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else. some Some, some people who are marching... You know, towards the border, like it's imminent. And when the last time they did this, a couple hundred people came and they, you know, most of them did get into the country. Most of them tired, you know, got tuckered out before they even made it to the border. Um, so we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right, to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. There is no, travel ban on them. There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about that?
5: We have to stop demonizing people, CNN's Don Lemon says before going on to demonize an entire group of people, white people, white men who are radicalized to the right, he says. No, we shouldn't worry about thousands of unknown people flooding up through Central America onto the uh, U.S. southern border. We should aim our ire specifically at white men. This despite several hundred attacks on Trump supporters over the past couple of years. This despite the fact that Antifa and um, a whole bunch of other left-wing groups, by the way, uh, protesting all around the country, as is their right, but getting violent alongside it. Bike locks being thrown in people's faces, cars being smashed. You see it almost every day now. In fact, right now in Toronto, there is a a monk debate going on between David Frum and Stephen K. Bannon, who was on the show earlier. And again, 600-odd protesters out there of the same violent left-wing ilk, but never ever gets any attention. Well, I heard Don Lemon say that, and I, for those of you who don't know me, have a little bit of a background in counterterrorism. You know, I was raised in a Muslim family and and, and turned my back on Islam and turned my attention to what was going on in the community that I was raised in. I went to university in London, in Westminster. Jihadi John, the Islamic State Executioner, was one year below me at that very same university. I remember being peer pressured by students, fellow students, while I was at university, who were saying, you know, brother, you're not a good Muslim unless you come to an Islamic society meeting. And they'd say it, and they'd prod me in the chest, and they'd corner me after seminars. And eventually I caved in. I said, yes, certainly, I'll I'll, I'll come along to something. And I remember walking down to that library building on Little Titchfield Street in London, I was with my friend Richard and he said, come to the pub. I said, I've got to duck into this Islamic Society meeting. I promised my colleagues I'd go. And as I walked up the steps and Richard continued on his way down to the pub, a couple of guys came out of that Islamic Society meeting. They stopped me on the steps and they said, "Now you don't want to go in there. I said, why not? They said, they're showing videos of 9-11 and clapping and cheering. And I, it was a pivotal moment for me, quite literally. I turned on my heel. And I called out to Richard down the street. I said, Richard, he said, uh, he said, what? I said, I'm coming down the pub. And uh, when I tell that joke in public settings, I often add on the phrase at the end. And I never left. But jokes aside, it's a, you know, it's a deeply serious situation when we have a news anchor like Don Lemon denying the terror threat, both from the left, which is rampant in Europe as well as in the United States. Uh, and from radical Islamic terrorism. You know, there's a new report out by a place uh, that I used to work at in London called the Henry Jackson Society, named after an old Democratic senator, in fact, Scoop Jackson. This report came out this week. And what this report shows is that the greatest share of attacks continued to be carried out by Islamists in the West. 48.53% of uh, all attacks in the West were Islamist. You know, the the statistics around this are, are quite extraordinary and it and it makes me wonder how someone like Don Lemon can say what he says with a straight face but how he can also not be called out on it by his colleagues who are supposed to be in pursuit of the truth. You know, of those terror attacks, the Henry Jackson Society report says Islamists were responsible for 84.27% of killings and injuries in the West in 2017. percent last year and Don Lemon wants to demonize white men who support conservatism or President Trump you know the 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 extraordinary thing about this to me is not just what President Trump relayed earlier on today when he said actually fake news leads to a lot of the violence but it's something broader than that you know there are there are Muslims across the Western world. And I wrote a book in 2017 called No-Go Zones, where I went to a lot of these Muslim-dominated ghettos, and I spoke to a lot of people. And yes, a majority in those Muslim neighborhoods want things that I should hope nobody out there wants. Sharia law, female genital mutilation, all these awful things. But there are people within their midst who both want to shun that or leave it all together or reform it from the inside out. And when people like Don Lemon say what Don Lemon says, it doesn't empower them. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help anyone. It's just a lie. Listen, you've been wonderful, and I really want to thank the producers and thank um, Buck Sexton for having me cover on here today. My name is Raheem Kassam. You can follow me on Twitter at Raheem Kassam facebook instagram the works you know this is um this has been a great honor for me and it's uh you know it's just so great ahead of four days before the midterms to be able to cover this wide range of topics um with all of you guys out there i i used to host the uh sirius xm radio show on the patriot uh channel a couple of years ago and you just you just forget how what a wonderful medium uh broadcast is especially radio and uh it's uh it's 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 one of those things where, you know, if the opportunity arises, I hope we can be back again soon. In the meantime, make sure you're always tuned in to Buck Sexton's show and uh, following him on Twitter and so on and so forth. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, with four days left to go, I implore you, be aware of what's going on around you guys. You know, Tuesday's a very important day. Raheem Kassam signing off.